The Sisters Grimm podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen at your own discretion. Welcome to the Sisters Grimm podcast. I'm Morgan Freeberg. And I'm Holly Freeberg. I feel like every time we come back after being gone for a while, it's like that one sound that's like, hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> how y'all been? Hi. hi. Yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah. We. I don't even remember the last time we put out you know an episode. What? That's just the way that we absolutely do it, bitches. Yeah. That's just like how we roll. And, um. Everything's fine with that. There's so many podcasts out there now. Like y'all, y'all can survive in between the ones that yeah. we do. And we For don't the new do. listeners who are um, just finding us, hello. We are two sisters who just had a sound on their computer. And if you're wondering what that sound was, I don't know. Me either. Probably an email. But yeah, we are two sisters who like to talk about all things grim, uh, movies, true crime. Anything strange, and today but we are diving back into true crime. Yeah, we, which took we haven't done a big break. The pandemic made it hard to research real murder, you guys. And um, I thought so too. We did um, a lot of movie stuff, and it was fun. But you know what? We're back on our bullshit. Yeah, and as the title of the podcast suggests, we are doing Texas killers, and this was actually an idea that Morgan and I had back in like. 2019 September 2019 girl I swear <laughs> no okay maybe like not it. maybe it was not. 2020 um but yeah uh so Texas killers because we're but like we haven't done a state in a while before that we have a little housekeeping since it has been months since months. our last podcast and the, which was our origin story podcast hope you all liked that yeah and and I had housekeeping in my notes for that podcast so these so my housekeeping is like real old real old and new so, well mine is new but also not much so i'll start are you sure because i'm like chomping at the bit ever since i read this in the bathroom okay yeah you tell me afterwards but um i don't know if i'll be able to hold it but basically i just want to talk about there now that you know there's a telemarketer calling me now Movie that things. covid is not over but definitely coming to things more are opening of a, up yeah Movies are coming back, and we are getting some fucking cool-ass horror movies. Lots of remakes, definitely. So many remakes. But I recently saw the full trailer for Halloween Kills. And oh, really? it looks good. so good. Even though I thought that about the 2018 one and didn't absolutely love it. But we'll see. It looks fucking cool, though. I have noticed something, and um, maybe our listeners have, too. In looking, because I like to look at, like, every single horror movie that comes out, like, every single month, Mm -hmm. and there is someone, and I don't know how that they're able to get away with this because of licensing, right? but there are, like, fan-made Halloween movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't really know either, but there's tons of fan-made movies like that. But, like, they're, like, they are legitimate enough that they have, like, IMDb pages. I think it has to do with, like, maybe, like, box offices. I really don't know at all, but... um, I don't know. I just keep seeing those, and then I'm, like... I also saw the first trailer for the new Candyman, and that shit looks good. Definitely takes place in Chicago, which I'm very excited for, because the original Candyman is one of my favorite movies. Well, it's just crazy, because all of the movies that we're seeing now were filmed like two years ago yeah like um another horror movie 
false positive that was filmed in 2019 yeah holly and i both have i don't some... know it's like whatever it's it was fine um <laughs> was there fine. was one more trailer though that i saw that i was really excited about here you do your thing and i'll try to think of it because i can't think of it off the top of my head um okay well i have some movie things i could mention i guess okay. like i saw some really fucking crazy horror movies um and some that i like had to turn off there's this one movie it's you know let me just talk about my other thing, actually, yeah. because that is actually planned and prepared. So back when we were going to originally do this episode, which I think was around September, our um, Starve Rock murder uh, episode with Chester Weger, who was convicted and, um, uh, you know, did his jail or prison sentencing forever. And he got released and he wanted to. He's been, you know, ever since he's been released, he's been trying to um, prove his innocence. Yeah. And so in September's, September's, Jesus Christ, in September, they, uh, his lawyers were seeking to have DNA reexamined. And so, like, literally just the beginning of June, they, it was finally granted. Okay. That the lawyers were um, allowed to... Uh, send the DNA to a lab, and they sent it to this man named Skip Palinik. Hmm. And Skip Palinik helped out with um, popular cases such as the Green River Killer Whoa. and the Atlanta Child cool. Killings. Okay. So this guy clearly knows his DNA shit. Right. And so now um, he has a lab in Elgin, I guess, called Microtrace, and right now they are inspecting the evidence in the slayings of the three women in 1960 and um yeah they've got like a lot of things from the case that they're checking and so i mean that's the most recent update on that wow but i thought that was really cool because the last i had heard was that a judge was going to decide whether or Mm -hmm. not to grant them the permission to have dna testing and so when i was looking it up this morning in preparation for the podcast, I was like, oh, shit, he not only granted it, it's now being tested by, like... So we will let y'all know when we yeah, uh, we'll find out more. Because I don't think Chester did it. I don't know. I don't know. Enough to I don't think s- he would be wanting to check DNA if he did. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I well. mean, you, you can't double Jeopardy, so who knows, but... Um, well, no, but just to have your name cleared. Yeah. But, yeah. The other movie I was thinking of that I saw the trailer for is the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's called... Old. Have oh, you heard about this? I was going to talk about that. Yeah. This shit looks weird looks really and cool. crazy. And I think it comes out mid July, which it is now July 1st. So, yeah, it's like this family that goes might on a be vacation and weird shit. Yeah, it's coming out at the like, end of July. I think like two weeks or so. Yeah. I think like mid. Um, a fucking new Purge movie comes out. Oh, this who weekend. fucking cares? Sorry, but lie. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I watched around um, election time, so in November. For some reason, I decided to watch... Purge Election? Well, all the Purge movies I hadn't seen, which would have been... All of them except the first one for me. Um, all of them but the, s- the first and second. And they're very... You've never seen the first Purge movie? No, I didn't watch those oh. ones because I had seen those. Oh, okay. Um, and they are, like, very, like, racially, socially, politically charged. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, it's kind of just... So it's, it's one of those it's it was a cool idea. I guess a sequel was fine, but now it's at the point where it's like let's stop. Now people and make are other things. Now people are just killing people illegally again, which was the issue 
before the whole thing even started. But actually, yeah. I think it's like kind of a bigger conspiracy thing. Like they're trying to get rid of certain classes of people mm. and certain demographics i guess that's that's the real like tea behind it. okay so <laughs> this isn't a purge episode <laughs> so yeah the purge corner right so um are you ready to get get Let's this do game this. going so welcome to texas texas everything so, is bigger there's been a lot of fucking shit that's happened in texas this year may i say i have never been to texas um, but let's get into this. I'm going to start out by saying that at least with my story, Texas has some Florida vibes. I, I think all say, y'all Texas know that. I will. <laughs> I, I get, I, um, you get what I'm saying? I get that. I get that. I understand your vibe that you get from that. All right. So I am starting with a man named Joe Ball. Now, Joe Ball. I know that all of you horror buffs out there, Holly included, you all know about Toby Hooper's first and most popular film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh-huh. which is loosely based on Ed Gein and his killings. Yes. But do y'all know about his second movie? Wait. It's called. Was it not the one that took place like, remember, they're like alligators? Okay, so you do. Good for you, Holly. It's called Eaten Alive. Oh, yeah, no. Starring we about Freddy Krueger himself, Robert yeah. England, mm-hmm. and not to mention, back to Halloween Kills, Kyle Richards, who played little Lindsay Wallace in the original Halloween, and she's now back in Halloween Kills. And we also know her from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She was in Eaten Alive before she ever played uh, whatever. She played Angie in Eaten Alive. I did not know that. But Eaten Alive is... Um... You've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. It's really bad. Okay, well, um, let's, and it's don't a video, talk about it. It's a video nasty. Is it? So we have, um, in theory, said that name on the podcast oh. before. Well, it's been a long time. And you didn't watch any of them. I did not. I, I was just going to say, I literally put in my notes, I did not watch this movie. Ooh, ooh. But I it will is... say, tangentially related, sorry to everyone who hates when we go off on tangents, but this Whatever. is related to um, video nasties. There is a movie out right now. A British horror movie called Censor, and it is about a girl who I I don't know if it takes it's it has to do with video nasties from basically. Texas? No, video nasties. Oh, and so that was my that was my connection to that. So it looks like a good movie. Is all I'm saying. Anyways, Continue. the ADHD is relevant today, you guys, for both of us. It's strong. It's early in the morning, which is I think when we're both at our most chipper. Um. Anyways, so that movie is based on the murders. That Joe Ball committed. I did not know that. And it is even a more realistic basing than Ed Gein. Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very loosely based on Ed Gein. This is very like loosely. pretty much exactly Just what the skin wearing and the like making of skin things. Like things. Like you know that really Lamp. weird season. Or season. The really weird scene in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre where that girl's just like in a room with like bones and like okay, a that's bunch not of what we're stuff about. well no but i mean that's like the only thing that like really right. ties that game okay so joe ball was born in the late 1890s i kept getting different dates so i just chose to go broad with it they do that a lot with yeah. people sometimes like i got 96 i got 98 i got 93 so i was like you know what? we're just gonna say the late 1890s 
He served on the front lines in World War One in Europe, and then when he came back here to Texas, he became a bootlegger, selling illegal, at the time, alcohol, specifically to those with lots of money, because he wanted money. Okay. So after Prohibition, the most natural job choice for him was to open his own saloon. So he opened the Sociable Inn in Elmdorf, Texas, right off Route 181. I looked, and there is a bar now called The Social Inn, but it's in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was very confusing to me. Either they're fans of the movie or have no clue in its parallel thinking. No, it's so weird. So the logo of the bar is an alligator, which you will see in the story Mm -hmm. makes sense. But also on like the website, there was like a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer, and they're like, (laughs) what? And they're like, they're like, thing is that it's a new old dive bar with a killer twist. So I think it's like serial killer themed, maybe. Because I also noticed that, like, it looks like maybe on the tables or coasters or something, there's, like, quotes from other serial killers. Anyway, I First digress. of all, I would just like to I say... I just thought this bar looked really weird. <laughs> first and foremost, I would like to say that I do not condone the actions of these bar people. I think that's... It's a little weird. I think that's kind of disrespectful. Also, that is so niche. I know. If you have a big picture of Jeffrey Dahmer on... I mean, I don't want to go into the nitty gritty but why wouldn't you pick like a bar that he went to why would you pick the name right, like the l and l tavern or something i mean i guess this was a bar run it's by some random bar in omaha killer. but for omaha I it's mean- very confusing you guys anyways the original sociable inn that joe opened in what year i do not know exactly but prohibition ended in 1933 and most of this takes place in the later 30s so i'm guessing around that time mm-hmm. so assumedly yeah around that time so he also, next to the bar, built a cement pond, which he housed five alligators. Okay. He then, it kind of became like the whole thing that people would come to watch, specifically when he fed the alligators, because he mostly fed them like live cats and dogs, which is gross. Cannot explain how much I hate that. Mm-hmm. So the, okay, social, Luca so the sociable inn was known for two things. The alligator shows and pretty waitresses. Yeah. It has a little, um, like the, le- oh, I'm, I'm going to fuck this name up, but like the l- cutest whorehouse in Texas or whatever uh, it's called. Sure. It has that vibe. The like bar in the movie. I've I would never also seen like it. to say it's, it's more of a bayou that the alligators are in. As, well, it's was, literally like a cement pond he made himself yeah, for them. I don't think the movie's like that. I'm just, I don't want to like keep going back and forth. I'm just like. You mean in the movie in Eaten the Alive? Movie, Eaten Alive. Oh, yeah. I've not seen the movie. Well, clearly Toby Hooper takes some create, some artistic yeah. uh, licensing. Right. Liberty. So a big thing about the bar is that there were always pretty waitresses, but it did seem like Joe had a hard time keeping waitresses. And that it was kind of like a revolving door of Ruh, new Ruh. women all the time. Red flag. So neighbors of the bar were not always the biggest fan of Joe and his gators. Also, sounds like a similar Joe who I had was big animals. I literally just gonna say. I literally have in my notes. This shit really gives me jokes. Oh yeah, vibes. you told me that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Super jokes. So neighbors would complain specifically Jesus. about the smell of the gator pond, and 
Joe would threaten them with pistols when they came to speak with him about it. And Jesus. another neighbor even said that he had to move away because he was so afraid of Joe and just how badly the alligator pond smelled. How have I never heard about this guy? Dude. So in 1937, wild. a young 22-year-old waitress at Joe's Tavern named Minnie Godhart went missing. Her family was worried and contacted the police, obviously. Uh, Joe, as her boss, was questioned. He claimed that Minnie left town for a new job and had told him so. They had no evidence to support the claim that Joe could have somehow been a part of her disappearance, and so he was never arrested, and the case sort of died for a while. And so then, a few months later, another one of Joe's servers went missing. Her name was Julia Turner. Julia's family also went to the police to report this. And again, they questioned Joe. He basically had the exact same story saying that Julie, Julia was having some troubles. And so she wanted to move to a new place for a more promising job. So the police searched Julia's home and found that she had left all of her belongings, which was obviously weird. Why would you move without taking your shit with you? So then the police questioned Joe for a second time, telling him that all of her belongings had been there. And he then suddenly remembered that he gave Julia $500 before she left town because she was specifically having issues with her roommate and she didn't want to go home. And again, there was nothing to book him on. So he was cleared. Huh. That's interesting. So over the next few months after the disappearances of Julia and Minnie, um, more and more of Joe's female employees were going missing. So the local police turned the case over to the Texas Rangers who started looking more into Joe specifically and his bar and found that even before the two different disappearances that were reported, a lot of Joe's employees were at the time missing persons, about a dozen people. Oh, before my God. Them. Which I think in the 30s, it was probably a little more common to have missing persons because, like, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have a lot of shit. You know what I'm saying? People were just probably leaving and they yeah, didn't exactly. have any way to tell anybody. I get that. But no one had reported these people. So maybe they just didn't have as close a family as Minnie yeah. and Julia did. Yeah. Um, um, blah, blah, blah. Lone wolf. So upon further investigation, they also found that both Joe's second and third wives had also not been heard of since... What Joe said, they ran out on him. His words, not mine. Fuck, Joe. So at this point, the Rangers were just questioning him mercilessly all the time, like constantly, constantly questioning him, but he never cracked under the pressure of questioning. Unfortunately for Joe, he had made a big mistake. He had witnesses. Oh, no. Joe's handyman. Joe doesn't seem smart. Well, Joe's handyman, when questioned, cracked under questioning and confessed to helping Joe dispose of several female corpses to the alligators. Um, but he claims that he only did so because he was held at gunpoint by Joe. That's got some Carol Baskin. Huh? Mm -hmm. It's like a mix. Sorry, I screamed that. Anyways. No, yeah, it's like a... It's literally Joe Baskin. Also, when all of this questioning started happening, the neighbor who had moved away because he was so afraid of Joe also confessed to witnessing Joe cutting up human remains and feeding it to alligators. He no. said he saw that happen. That's some and that he shit too. and he said Joe had threatened him by saying, if you know what's good for you, you'll back off unless you want to become alligator food or 
if you want to be restaurant food. Were these alligators ever questioned? So I think the bigger takeaway from what I just said was that not only was he feeding human remains to alligators, he was serving it in his food at his restaurant, at his bar. That isn't like totally, but people are pretty sure. Well, did he serve alligator? Like, did he, were the alligators no, no, no. there I for, didn't see the menu. <laughs> were they there for, were the alligators there just for pleasure, or were they also They were a there, show, basically. They were a show, yeah. so he didn't also cook. No, no, never. Um, so the rangers thought that they had enough evidence to indict Joe, but they wanted one more thing before they finally did. So they went to the sociable inn one day and asked to search and examine the meat barrel at the bar. So at this time is basically when Joe realized the jig was up. I'm Joe sorry, went, the meat barrel? Yeah, girl. What was this? I don't oh, know. you know what? It doesn't you really come into question anymore. I've worked at a butcher. I know exactly what they're talking about. All right. We had a, we had a meat garbage can. It's the same thing. Anyway, so Joe basically realized with this questioning that the jig was up. Joe went behind the bar. He went behind the register. He rang up a no sale to open the cash register. He pulled out a pistol and shot himself in the chest and killed himself. Ow. Joe's handyman was sentenced to two years in prison for aiding him in the disposal of the bodies. After Joe's death, his third wife did end up turning up. She says that she was so terrified of Joe and the things that had happened and she was worried about what happened with the second wife. Right. So she just ran away. She was never basically tried, even though people think that maybe she had a little something to do with it. Possibly. And the five alligators were donated to the San Antonio Zoo for the public to enjoy. That is so fucked up. And that's the story of Joe Ball. Fucking alligators. Imagine going to look at those alligators. You know how, like, at the zoo they have, like, those little placards, like, where they got them? Mm -hmm. And you, like, go over and you're like, oh, alligators that... Fucking eight people for a zoo. So many so, women. So were they able to prove from that barrel that there were dead bodies in there? That it really wasn't discussed. I think him killing himself was kind of enough for them to so realize that he had done it. And oh, and the wife also had like said stuff, and there was the two witnesses, and I think that was pretty much. So it was kind of enough. circumstantial, but I mean, the fact that he killed himself is kind of well, and there were Telling. people he had. Um, People saying that he did it. Yeah. That's a pretty big tell. Yeah. So that's a, that's that. <laughs> Joe Ball. Why did they I, made I, that a movie? They like did. Re- Eaten Alive. No, no. I cannot <laughs> stress to you. Eaten Alive is essentially like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is to Ed Gein. So who does, uh, who does uh, Robert England's character? Is he Joe or is he He's someone else? Joe. But wow. He, and he is fucking crazy. But it is in more of like a horror movie vibe opposed to what maybe like a serial killer was doing. Like it seemed like uh, Joe, Mr. Ball, was cutting up, was killing them and then feeding them to the alligators. Whereas in the movie, Robert England was pushing people into into the the mouth. We don't know the way that it happened. We don't. He could have done it like that too. We we weren't there, ladies and gentlemen. Especially if he especially if he had a bar that was right next to it. I I mean I guess he could And neighbors all around who I saw. (laughs) He was not very smart. um, I I don't as you said. Uh 
yeah. I'll say so. it. He seemed dumb. <laughs> no, he did seem dumb. That was a dumb thing to do. Um, most criminals are pretty dumb. Uh, let's see. So my let's guy get into your guy. Should we take Coral. a quick break? Yes, we should. And I love that our accents have not wavered this I whole episode. Oh, no, me neither. So, during the break, um, we're still recording episodes in uh, our father's attic in his recording studio. Mm-hmm. And I was looking in the desk and I found... I found a token for Chuck E. Cheese. Oh my god. Yeah. Which made That's me That's scary, think, honestly. That's yeah, cursed. Which made me think You should get that out of the house. Of stuff. <laughs> well, well, it made me think there is a movie out and I haven't seen it because I heard it wasn't very good. Um it's called like Willie's Wonderland and it's with Nick Cage and it is like a um it is a Chuck E. Cheese esque vibe, or if you're familiar with the game uh, Five Nights at Freddy, which mm. is like the original, like making Chuck E. Cheese scary, and they may be making a movie. Like they've been talking about it for a long time. It'll be a scary movie. It's a game where like you have to sur- you have this job, and um, you work at like a Chuck E. Cheese like place, and you're allowed to stay there at nighttime, but you have to like watch all these security cameras and this crazy like bear, what? like in like this. Like, you know, like a Chuck E. Cheese-esque character. I've never been to Chuck E. Cheese. But you know the, you know the format, right? How sort of. people, well, it used to, well, I Isn't it just the big cheese I don't want to get into it. He's a mouse. It was this whole thing before. And there was like a show you could watch, and it was animatronics. But any whoozle, that's a whole other episode. So, my killer from Texas is... Notorious Dean Coral or the Candyman. Ooh, speaking of Candyman. Yeah, um, he is known for the perverseness of his crimes. Mm. So I definitely spoiler. saw him while doing my searching, and I looked away and didn't read anything about him, so I know nothing of his sort. Yes, there is also another um, player in this, but we will get to him later. So Dean Arnold Coral was born on Christmas Eve of 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and his mother's name was Mary Emma Robinson, and his father was Arnold Edwin Coral. He was the firstborn, and he had a younger brother named Stanley. His childhood was marked with similarities to other serial killers that we have talked about. He had a strict, overbearing father and a very protective mother who frequently fought and eventually divorced. Though they remarried after World War II and the dad came back, but eventually divorced again. Uh, Dean was described as a shy kid and not very sociable. His mother remarried and they moved the family to Texas. And his mother and stepfather started a candy company, which Dean worked at. Eventually, Dean's mother and stepfather divorced, and Mary started her own candy company and called it the Coral Candy Company. Dean um, was drafted in 1964 for the Vietnam War and only served for 10 months when he was requested to be discharged on the grounds that he needed to be home to help with his family's business. But during the short period of time that he was in the army, Dean discovered his sexuality and realized he was gay and had his first homosexual experience while he was in the army. 
So people around him at the time noted that Dean's personality had changed and he was a little more open with his sexuality and would flirt and, you know, seem to be, you know, out and proud. Um, He worked, uh, like I said, at his mother's candy company. And he, uh, like I said, liked flirting with younger men. Mm-hmm. So while he was working at his mother's candy company, he would give out candy to younger boys, like around like 12-ish years old. Gross. And he became good friends with this boy named David Brooks. Eventually, the relationship turned sexual at Dean's urging, obviously, and he would pay David uh, if he would, like, let Dean perform sexual acts on him. He, of course, you know, um, went after a kid who was in desperate need of money because his family didn't have a lot of money, and so he preyed on that. Mm-hmm. They usually Real do. shitbag move. Real shitbag move. Yeah. Um, so Dean would have what are what he called glue sniffing parties mm, okay. where he would give out free candy to um, children to children. So like David would bring Yikes. friends over. He would ask David to bring friends. You know, he was grooming David yeah. and then he was trying, you know, using David to get other boys to come. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he wanted to be there, obviously it was a cool place to go. So, Dean was also, at this time, getting more into bondage and sadism. One time, David wanted, um, he, uh, David walked in, rather, on Dean at one of these parties, and he had two young boys strapped to a four-poster bed, but when David came in, Dean got embarrassed, and he let the boys go, and he told David that he would buy him a car if he did not say anything. How does he have so much money? <clears throat> candy company. He's rolling in that candy dough. Yeah, okay. Um, Working that kind of a job used to pay big bucks. Not so much now. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, his first known victim was 18-year-old Jeffrey Conan. He was picked up by Dean while he was hitchhiking from the University of Texas to his parents' house in August of 1970. He was strangled and asphyxiated with a cloth towel, and he was buried at a nearby beach underneath a very large boulder he was covered in a layer of lime he was naked and wrapped in plastic and his hands were bound to his feet suggesting sexual abuse no this was this was not david this was um his first victim who was this 18 year old um dean's sadistic bloodlust led him to offer david two hundred dollars which in this time was quite a bit of money um, for every boy that he could bring him. In the beginning, he said he was part of a white slavery ring. That's what he... Because okay. David obviously was like, I have questions. Why do you want boys? And Dean was basically like, I'm in this ring of people who sell white boys. Um, but soon it became obvious... the American government? <coughs> Franklin credit. Cover up. Um... <sighs> So, um, but soon it became obvious that Dean was killing these boys. Uh, they would pick their victims from, like, seedier areas around Houston, preying on boys whose disappearances were written off as runaways by the local police. So in December... What years was this again? Uh, 70s. Mm-hmm. So... It was so easy to kill back in the day, y'all. <laughs> too easy. Too Too fucking easy. easy. Especially getting away with it. 
with DNA? They're like, I don't know. He has yeah. a positive. Right. Um, so um, on December in 1970, David Brooks lured 14-year-old James Glass and Danny Yates away from a religious rally that the two were attending. So they were just at youth group hanging out, and this kid lured them away. Um, Dean had created a torture board with holes to put ropes through to strap down his victims while he would rape and torture them. Kind of similar to what uh, John Wayne Gacy did. Mm. He had a board, too. Mm. So both of these boys were strangled and then buried in a boat shed that was rented by Dean. Six weeks later, in January of 1971, David Brooks and Coral encountered 15- and 14-year-old brothers Donald and Jerry Waldrop as they were walking home from a friend's house. Dean lured them into his van, and they drove to Dean's apartment and were raped, tortured, and they were also buried in the boat shed. In May of 1971, Coral abducted along with David, who helped 15-year-old Randall Harvey, who was last seen by his family riding his bike to his job at a gas station. He was put into Dean's van and brought back to the apartment where he was tortured and raped before being killed with a single gunshot to the head, and he was also buried in the boat shed. May of 1971, 13-year-old David <coughs> Hillengeist, excuse me, and 16-year-old Gregory Malley, Winkle were abducted, raped, and tortured, and were killed together and buried in the boat shed, which at this point is getting pretty full of dead bodies. Mm -hmm. So not all of these boys were written off as runaways. Um, at least some of their families uh, were looking for them, as in the case with David and Gregory, as well as Jeffrey, his first victim, and their fam families were all frantic frantically looking you know for their sons and their this these children so in august of 1971 17 year old reuben watson haney was walking home from a movie theater when david brooks encountered him and persuaded reuben to go to a party at dean's apartment reuben agreed but when he got there uh he met the same fate as all the boys before him mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. in the winter of 1971 david introduced coral to Elmer Wayne Henley, and if you are familiar with the TV show Mindhunter, they visit him in the second season. Ooh. Yes. I didn't see the second season. Um, he was originally lured to Dean's as an intended victim. Is Dean in that show at all? No. Okay. Be, and you'll find out why. All right. Um, so he was originally lured to Dean's as an intended victim, but then Dean decided that Elmer would make a better accomplice. Mm. How um, old was Elmer? Elmer was young. He was pretty young. Okay. He like was pretty young. or 17 or something? Yeah. Yeah. And that, I'm not sure why I don't have it written down, but yeah, he was in that range. Okay. He was around the same age as like David, who was probably around 16, 17 at this age. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Dean was no longer probably sexually attracted to David at this time. Maybe a little. I don't know. Who but he's, he liked younger guys. Yeah. Um, so... In February of 1972, oh, first, um, uh, Dean offered, you know, uh, Henley this offer to, like, take boys. He was like, no, no, thank you. That sounds bad. And then Dean was like, how about I give you $200 for every boy? And so then he agreed because his family was struggling financially. Mm -hmm. 
So now in February of 1972, Henley helped, excuse me, I'm so sorry, helped Coral abduct 17-year-old William Branch. Elmer says that Dean told him that William was sold to a sex trafficking ring, but when William got to Dean's home, he was tied to the board and raped. He was castrated Mm. and then shot and buried in the boat shed. March of 1972, Frank Aguirre was lured to Dean's with the promise of smoking some pot, but instead was raped, tortured, and murdered. Um, On 420 of 1972, Mark Scott, uh, 17, um, a friend of both Henley and David Brooks, so like, you know, they were cool with one another. He was forced into the van to go to Dean's, and Mark tried to pick up a fight and even tried stabbing them with a knife, and then he saw that Henley was pointing a gun at his head and just gave up because he knew. And then he was tortured, raped, and murdered, which is really fucked up that this is that there's so many that I'm having to say those words so many times this yeah. is really fucking upsetting. <clears throat> Um, because of the victim. So, May of 1972, 16-year-old Johnny Delone and Billy Belch were abducted. Johnny was last seen walking with his friend to a local store, and Billy was a farm worker at uh, Coral Candy Company. And both were tortured, raped, and killed by Coral. So, uh, Coral Henley and Brooks then abducted 19-year-old Billy Riddinger, He was tied to the board and he was tortured and abused by Coral, but later Brooks said that he was able to persuade Dean to let Billy go. Um, Once when Brooks was entering Dean's home, Dean knocked him unconscious and then tied him to a bed and repeatedly raped him. He released him and despite the attack, Brooks kept helping Dean. Mm. So that was just like a weird, that's like a weird incident that happened. Yeah. Like him probably just being like, remember who's in charge here. Um, in July of 1972. And he's still a pretty young kid. So. Yeah, I mean, he's still young. Um, 17-year-old Stephen Sickman was last seen leaving a party. He was abducted and severely bludgeoned that fractured several ribs, strangled uh, with a nylon cord, and then was ultimately buried at the boat shed. October of 1972. Wally J. Simono. 14 years old, was walking to his junior high school when he was abducted. While he was at Dean's, he tried calling his mom for help before the phone was disconnected, and then he was killed and buried in the boat shed. That same day, Richard Hembry, 13, was also abducted, and they shot him, and he was strangled. November of 1972, Richard Kepner, 19, went missing while he was on his way to call his fiance at a payphone, he was then raped, tortured, strangled to death, and was buried in the boathouse. Is it just a lot more of this? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Maybe then it starts to get... We so, skip past some of it. Because I don't think we need to just keep hearing about every single no. one. So, let's see. So, after Richard, he killed in February of 1973, June 4th of 1973, June 15th of 1973, July of 1973, again in July of 1973... So he a was lot in July of ni- so yeah hard. towards the end of so ni- July of 1973 he was pretty fucking busy so yeah he killed like I 
and that's not to discount any of these victims. No, of course not. But it's also not like super beneficial for us to keep just saying this person was this, this, and this. Yeah, no, it's it becomes rude after a while. I'm glad you stopped me. Yeah, there's no story in that. He killed. There's absolutely all of these no, poor let's boys. Just keep going with what happened. Yeah. So, and then this is where things start to get not interesting, but a little not so much murders. So. On the evening of August 7th, 1973, Henley invited Timothy Cordell Curley, who was 19, to a party at Corals. He was intended to be Dean's next victim. Henley and Timothy went out around midnight, and they ran into their friend Rhonda Williams, who they found, like, in the street, and she had been fighting with her father. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, they were friends, and she's like, I don't feel comfortable going back into the house with my dad. Can I please come with you? And they were like, of course. So they told her to come with, and they went back to Coral's home, and they all went to bed. Um, early in the morning, the next day, though, um, uh, Dean was fucking so mad that they had brought a girl mm. into the house, and kept yelling at them and telling them that they had ruined everything, Henley explained oh. how Rhonda had been fighting with her father and didn't want to go back home and they didn't really have any other choice and Dean relaxed a little and they all smoked some pot and they sniffed some glue and then they all passed out. Okay. So Henley woke up and found himself lying on his stomach and Dean was putting handcuffs on his wrists. Curly and Rhonda were tied up next to him on the floor. They were bound with nylon rope gagged with and uh, with duct tape and were lying face down on the floor and Curly had been stripped naked. Seeing that uh, Henley was awake, Dean removed the gag and Henley started freaking out on Dean and Dean said that he was mad that he had brought a girl back to his house and he was going to kill all three of the teenagers, but he was going to rape Curly first. Hmm. So Henley tried talking Dean down, saying he would help him with torturing and killing the other two if Dean would untie him, which Dean did, and they tied Curly and Rhonda to the board. Dean gave Henley a hunting knife and ordered him to cut off Rhonda's clothes and told him that they were going to rape her, or he was going to rape her while he raped Curly. Curly and Rhonda then eventually woke up. They started freaking out. Rhonda seems like a girl who's like, don't fucking fuck with me, yeah. motherfucker. Go off, bitch. Um... And Henley asked if he could bring Rhonda into another room, but Dean ignored him. So Henley grabbed Coral's pistol and said, Dean, you've gone too far and enough is enough. Dean walked towards Henley and was like, kill me. Like, just kill me then. Like, pussy. Like, you think you can kill right. me? Do it. And um, uh, uh, Henley like shot marched him. at him and shot him. Killed him. And so he untied Rhonda and Curly and he told them to leave. And then Curly was like, let's call the police. Henley called the police and he told them that he had just killed a man. The police were like, don't you want to hear your Miranda rights? And Henley was like, no, I need to get all of this off of my chest. So he confessed to everything. Dang. Everything. Saying that he was coerced by Dean and he showed the police where they had buried all of the bodies Inside the boat shed, police found a stolen car, a child's bike, a large iron drum, water containers, two sacks of lime, and a large plastic bag full of teenage boys' clothing. Oh, no. 
They dug through the earth in the boat shed and found the remains of victims in various stages of decomposition. Most bodies had been wrapped in thick, clear plastic sheeting. All of the victims had found to have signs of sexual torture. Their pubic hair had been plucked out. This is all just gross stuff. I'm not reading this. Oh. I'm not reading this. Oh, my God. Plucked. It was disgusting. It's They did fucked up shit. I'm not reading uh. it. Um... I'm not reading this either because it's gross. Um, so the total number of Coral's victims remains unknown. Henley was indicted and found guilty for six of these murders. Mm-hmm. So in Mindhunter, Dean's not there because He's dead. Henley killed him. Um, Did so, they talk about him though? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, because I should really watch the second season. <laughs> it's good. I don't know why they stopped. Um, in they court, were almost over it. So in court, David Brooks tried portraying himself as a silent partner to the crimes and said only Henley was present at the time of the rapes and murders. But he ended up being indicted for murders and was found guilty of one. David? Yes. Yeah. And they were both sentenced to life in prison. Damn. Yup. That's fucked up and gross. That's a really bad one. Um, but, you know, Mindhunter, y'all... If you've watched that, yeah. Now, if you want to know, know a that little story more, a little more, yeah. And if you go and watch it now, you'll understand a little more. I mean, like um, Henley was in no means an innocent little angel. No, definitely not. But he was groomed. Yeah. But I mean, still, and trauma can make you do some really fucked up shit. Oh my god! Yeah. Is David in in Mindhunter at all, or no? No, because they go and visit, um, they go and visit Henley specifically because they're trying to get him to talk about the abuse that he suffered from, Mm -hmm. uh, Coral. And that's when they realize that, like, he is more innocent than they're making it seem. At least in the show, yeah. In the show, at least, um. So, yeah, that was our Texas Killers episode. Yeah, guys, we did it. We got through a true crime episode, and we both don't hate ourselves. And mine was yucky. Yeah, mine wasn't, like, cute by any means. (laughs) So, really dope documentary y'all should watch. If you guys are in to true crime, if you are in to shipwrecks, (laughs) go on Discovery Plus. There is a six-part documentary about the Estonia, which was a ferry cruiser that sank in the 90s in the Baltic Sea. And that's all I'm going to say. And you guys should watch it. It has crazy... It's 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 just... It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Because I was like, shipwreck? Why is this in the true crime section? And then I watched it and I was like, rad. <laughs> also, I watched this... I'm watching this documentary about North Korea... And there are some things that happen, some like true crimey ish things, like mysterious things that I didn't know about and are crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, um, yeah, follow us on the Sisters Grim Podcast. Yes. At the Sister Grim Podcast. Next episode, we'll have a little announcement of something, but we will get to it, uh, you know, next episode. And good night.